From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. I'm Tammy Katzoff, and in each episode of this podcast, I talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, I spoke with Jenny Love, class of 2000, who is the owner of Love and Fresh Flowers in Philadelphia. As I do with all of these interviews, I began the conversation by asking how and when Jenny became interested in her occupation. I believe it was 2006, maybe, was the year that I became interested in um, urban farming. So that's in particular what first drew me into the business that I have now. So I was doing urban farming as a volunteer while working another job, um, a corporate job back in 2006. And then after being involved in that urban farm volunteer position, I decided that I really wanted to jump ship out of my corporate career and um, go into farming. I had grown up on a farm and really uh, kind of ran away from a farm (laughs) when I was younger and um, was really inspired by my time at Muhlenberg to pursue other dreams. And then, um, yeah, and then I just realized I really loved farming and then I was avoiding it and that was stupid. So (laughs) So then in 2008, I uh, quit my corporate job (laughs) and I went back to school at Longwood Gardens. They have a horticulture program there that I was taking horticulture, uh, college level horticulture classes while also working at Longwood Gardens and was able to get my feet wet in the world of horticulture. And after graduating from that program, I was really already on the course that I have now. So um, I sold my first flowers uh, in 2008. The business name Love and Fresh Flowers did not exist yet, but I was selling flowers from my first flower garden. And then in 2009, I registered the business name uh, with the city of Philadelphia and launched Love and Fresh Flowers in 2009 in Philadelphia. And then, yeah, from there, I've been drawn into it more and more over the years. First is a love of urban farming and the concept of creating a green, sustainable space within a city concrete jungle. And then I got really swept up into flowers in particular because they are a high value crop, um, which makes urban farming possible. And then also I really uh, just have a knack for floral design. So that worked out really well. Uh, but ultimately now, after I guess this is 12, 12 years of doing this now, I'm most engaged in the concept of creating habitats and really, truly deep sustainability, deeper than I can even possibly describe. Honestly, <laughs> there's something really fundamental about what's driving me at the moment. Um, in terms of uh, a deep love and curiosity for soil and wildlife um, and then being able to tell the story of those things so that I can communicate that to the rest of the world, which is really a deep passion as well. So that was a long answer to a short question. (laughs) But a good answer. I liked it. So I'm going to rewind a little bit again before we get back up to the present. So when you were at Muhlenberg, um, you majored in yes. media communications? 
Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. Well, I also I have two two degrees. One's communications, and the other was an independent study degree of comparative world literature, which was an oddball. But I actually really wanted to become a literature professor, <laughs> uh, and then realized that you can't make ah. any money or get a job as a literature professor. <laughs> so, so um, I did have the degree in communications also, and so knew I was a good writer. So I got into corporate marketing, specifically business to business marketing, which meant that I wrote a lot of proposals, uh, was my first tenure uh, job after college was writing corporate proposal work. So that's where I landed. It wasn't necessarily why I wanted to be, but that's where I went. <laughs> and when you decided to make that career change and went back from for training what did it take to actually start your own business people might not know what goes into that tell me what the process is and what what you had to do to get that up and running yeah it's a really complex process which i think half of me has forgotten about it because it was so daunting and consuming <laughs> um it's something i try to block out of my uh, it, there's just a lot of paperwork initially in terms of literal, like you have to get a federal employee identification number, even if you don't have employees, you have to get, um, you have to set up a sales tax account with the state. Uh, you have to register your business name. Um, so there's a lot of paperwork uh, that goes into it. There's also establishing a brand and building building your story to make sense in terms of being able to attract like the right customers. Uh, for me, it's always been about connecting with the right people and not about building a big, big, fussy, flashy business, but something that really made sense to me. So that took a lot of thought and strategy to build that, which meant that I've written many, many, many versions of business plans over the year to drill down to the details a lot of stuff like that. And then I built my own website, had to establish my own social media over the years. So there's all those things to run in addition to actually doing the business, which is growing flowers on five acres in Philadelphia, which is also a full-time job. <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into building a business. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Did you find that you were successful uh, quickly or, or just tell me what it was like for the first few months or years of your business? Initially, it was pretty successful right from the start. I wasn't expecting how successful it would be. You can always hope for a small business to be successful, but the odds are very stacked against small businesses in particular. Um, usually small businesses don't turn a profit until year five, generally speaking, statistically. And then also it's quite frequent that I, I forget the exact, exact statistic, but something like half of all small businesses will fail um, by year 10. So the odds are pretty, pretty slim that you're going to have a successful small business right out of the gate. And I was prepared for the long schlep. I didn't mind the hard work. But it turned out that what I had in mind was a concept that people were very hungry to support. So my fundamental concept behind Love and Fresh Flowers has always been to focus only on sustainable and locally grown flowers and to keep them in the local community so that there's a connection between where the flowers are grown and the community itself 
and to um, foster those community relationships as much as I'm fostering the flowers as they grow at the farm. And the, the idea was to close the loop for what has become a fairly fragmented industry. When I started this business 12 years ago, the floral industry was very disconnected from where flowers come from. So most of the flowers were being grown in other countries and then flown into the United States. And then florists would use those flowers that were grown somewhere else to create floral designs. But historically, back in the 1800s and even the early 1900s, florists in the United States were also flower growers themselves, and they were just selling the flowers that they were growing. And that's how floristry originally was. (laughs) But it had gotten really fractured over the years. So I just wanted to go back to being the person that not only grew the flowers, but also sold the flowers and designed with the flowers. And that was really my mission from the start. So... um, In the beginning, the first, I'd say six months to, well, the first year I was growing out of a very small space. I had the equivalent of a 16th of an acre, which is very, very small, (laughs) uh, that I was growing out of. Wow. Started the business from that and went to one farmer's market and sold out at the farmer's market every week and then was covering all the costs for the business. And then people started asking me to do wedding flowers. And that's when everything really snowballed. And I guess the business was sort of born uh, conceptually at that point in terms of what the customer thought of Love and Fresh Flowers. So in 2010 Mm. is when I started doing wedding flowers. Year after I started the business, so to speak. From there, it's been, the rest is history, as they say, it's been exceptionally successful. We've uh, the company it's in whole has flowered over uh, 600 weddings at this point and uh, is, and I don't know, it's just been really a fun ride. Uh, but yeah, really successful from the beginning. I feel very fortunate. Well, I definitely want to talk more about weddings in a minute, but I want to ask you more about who you're working with. So I'm, I imagine you have a staff of some sort and you mentioned that you, ha- you, you work with a bunch of people um, and, and have a bunch of connections that allow your business to keep moving and growing. So tell me about the people that you are dealing with on a daily basis. Who are you working with? What different types of people? I have a crew that helps me, employees that help me at the farm at a given time. It's, it's the farm is at about five acres of production at the, at the moment, all located within the city of Philadelphia, which makes it very unusual. But I have a very small staff for that amount of production because over the years I've honed in um, my efficiencies. So we have a staff normally of three farm hands, farm crew team. And then I have an office assistant who works remotely from home. And then that's pretty much it in terms of the core of the business. And then myself. So I work usually about 80 to 90 hours a week, which (laughs) counts as multiple people, obviously. But and then I pull in a range of freelancers. They're in the floral industry. Freelancers are a big piece of the puzzle. And freelancers are floral designers who work for many, many different florists. And so they're sort of hired guns, so to speak, uh, that get to be super creative and do a lot of work in that capacity. So when I have large events, big weddings, which we do, you know, weddings that are 300 people and they happen at prestigious places around Philadelphia, like the Barnes uh, Museum and um, a lot of different venues around the city of Philadelphia. 
So I'll bring in a crew of maybe eight to 10 freelancers to help me pull that off um, whenever we're doing large weddings. And then just around the community, there's all sorts of people. We have some people that will volunteer at the farm to help weed and do things like that. I am presently the president of the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, which is an international organization for flower farmers. So I have a huge network through that organization. I'm also involved in the Certified Naturally Grown Movement, which is a a movement of farmers who are interested in growing organically, but in an even deeper sustainable way than certified organic. So I have an amazing community through there. And then a, a big network of small business owners in the immediate area that I um, just consider really good friends. And we've supported each other over the years to figure out new ideas and, and create together. So yeah, so it's a small core team, but then a huge network of people that come into play um, in their own way. So now I'm going to bring in the unfortunate uh, fact that we are all going through a pandemic. Can't, can't not mention it. So um, let's start with pre-pandemic. You know, did you have a typical day? Let's say that you were preparing to do a wedding. What was that day like for you? If you did have a typical day, what was that day like? I never really had typical days. I had what I would consider typical weeks, but then the days are always kind of a, one of the things I love about my job is nothing is the same. Nothing is ever the same. But typical week pre-pandemic would have been um, on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. I'm farming um, full throttle. And then come Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I was, my florist hat went on and I would be doing floral design. And then, you know, executing weddings on Friday evening, Saturday, and Sunday usually, and then back to the farm again on Monday. So my weeks were very structured around half of, the, half of a week would be dedicated to creating a wedding and executing that wedding. And then half of the week would be dedicated towards farming. But then what was going on in a given day <laughs> could be incredibly wide ranging. So that's what it looked like before. It looks very different now. <laughs> yeah, so what is work like now, nowadays? Yeah, so when um, Philly went into lockdown around March 13th, and that really changed the way my business functioned, first and foremost, it was really helpful that I was first and foremost a flower farm, that Love and Fresh Flowers was first and foremost a flower farm, which meant that we qualified as an essential business. So most florists were required to shut down because they were not an essential business, but because we were a farm, we were allowed to continue to operate. So because of that, I was able to pivot the business pretty quickly and change strategies. It took a lot of time to think about how to approach a new sales channel. Because of lockdown, all of our weddings, we would have had our first wedding on, I think it was March 23rd this year, the season, we only do weddings from March to mid-October because we're a seasonal business and really dedicated to just using the flowers that are grown here. So our weddings started postponing and then eventually canceling. Um, most of our weddings for 2020 at this point have shifted to next year. So it's looking like mm. we won't have any weddings this year. Uh, we had 56 booked for 2020 this year. Um, so that's a lot of events to move. 
But yeah, so once I realized what was happening, I decided to consider how we could do more retail sales. And I had to put on my marketing hat and figure that out and then learn how to tell a new story for the farm and to communicate my business's needs in a way that was honest and transparent, but also hopeful and not too discouraging because I didn't want my customers to feel really deflated. I wanted to offer them something that felt good and like we could move forward together. So developing that whole (laughs) package took a lot of brain space and a lot of time. I'm very grateful for the creative writing skills that I picked up at Muhlenberg, (laughs) which really helped me as a business owner. I'm forever reminded of how powerful that education can be no matter what path you end up going down. I never would have guessed I'd be a flower farmer that was not in the cards <laughs> back when I was 20. Um, but I, uh, that education has been powerful. So because of that, I was able to really draft a whole new business basically in the course of about three weeks, change the business entirely. Now we are mostly a delivery delivery florist. So we do um, weekly deliveries out into Philadelphia of our farm's flowers. And we also have a CSA on the farm as well. Um, So the sales have been quite extraordinary (laughs) to say Mm. the least, how our community has responded. And I credit that to spending so much time over the years in building that community. So people were really invested in seeing this farm stay alive, even while all the odds were sort of stacked against it. So it's been really, really an interesting thing to watch. You know, it's, it's like a reblooming of a whole, whole new. (laughs) And uh, initially I was incredibly discouraged and now I'm actually very hopeful for how this will all, all pan out. So yeah. Excellent. Taking the pandemic out of it again, what do you see as the most rewarding parts of your job? And what do you see as the most challenging parts of your job? Mm. If, if, if those are two different things. The most rewarding part, the thing that really gets my own sort of heart pounding in the good way is watching the just watching the earth respond to good stewardship and seeing how I can, as a human being, as human beings in general, we create a lot of devastation in our world. And that can feel really overwhelming and impossible to change. And I'm here to say that I can literally watch things regenerate and rebirth and come back to life given the proper handholding, so to speak. Like as humans, we try to inflict, (laughs) and I do use the word inflict purposely, inflict our will upon nature. And Mm -hmm. even people who mean well often inflict their will upon nature, but we have to just kind of step back and let nature be nature. So to witness how when you can can let go and stop being so rigidly human in your <laughs> in your thought process and work um, truly within the bounds of nature. It's pretty inspiring to see. Um, I've really been powerfully moved by watching 
my soil at the farm is still alive and the, the um, wildlife around the farm is still alive. Here I am in the middle of America's fifth or sixth largest city. I don't know where we're at now in the camp, but, um, you know, in a huge city. Uh, and it's just vibrating around me with uh, green and, and insect wings and bird wings. It's a really incredible place. So that definitely is my favorite part of my job is to watch that just unfold. And then the biggest challenge is sort of a flip side of that coin is the weather, which climate change is no joke, as we all know. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I really witnessed that in a much more daily dramatic way. It's one thing to just kind of look at the weather forecast and, and most people who work in an office just look out the window and it's like, Oh man, it's raining today. (laughs) You know, like, but for me, it is, uh, like we just had on Saturday night, it froze here in the city of Philadelphia on May 8th. I think it was May 8th. It went to 30 degrees. Things that keep happening more and more extreme they're extreme swings. It's no one single thing. It's just something simple as like on May 8th in the night, it fell to 30 degrees and it killed a great number of my crops. And that's the kind of thing that's happening to a lot of farmers around the world at this point and something that is, we will see how it all unfolds. So that is one of the biggest challenges of my job as well. So aside from climate change, now you've been You've been at this quite a while. You've probably witnessed a lot of change in the industry itself. Um, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen since you started? And what trends do you foresee that that you're going to have to keep up on to keep your business growing and, and be competitive? So when I started this business, like I said, 2008 was the first year I sold flowers. And 2009 is when Love and Fresh Flowers really came into fruition. Back then, so the title that I give myself and quite a number of people use to refer to my kind of business is called a farmer florist, which means that I do both. I farm the flowers and I design with the flowers. So when I first started, that term didn't exist. And I was one of the first to coin it and create that concept um, of a small flower farm that also was a florist. And so since then, over the decade, past decade plus, uh, that trend has really gained traction. So locally grown flowers was not really a buzzword 10 years ago. Now it's a huge buzzword. It's kind of like the equivalent of local food and how that came up through the ranks, you know, I guess probably in the 1990s or whatever, when people started thinking about local food and where does your food come from now the same is really happening with flowers. So it's been phenomenal to be part of that renaissance um, and to take a lead in that. I tried to take a leadership role in that change in the industry. Tremendous change in the floral industry over the course of my career. It's been really cool to see it happen. A much greater um, focus on sustainability. It used to be an incredibly unsustainable industry. It was shocking actually. There's a really cool book, if any of the listeners want to read it. Um, It's a bit outdated at this point, but it's still a good read. It's called Flower Confidential by Amy Stewart. It was written, I believe, in 2008. It's a a factual documentary type book, and it's uh, all about how the floral industry was really bizarre on the back end (laughs) in a way that they probably really realized. 
Um, and it was one of the reasons I started doing what I do is after I read that book. To further answer the question in terms of trends, when I first started, there weren't that many people doing what I was doing. So it was easy to be at the top of that pact. And now there's a lot of competition, especially in the local Philadelphia area for um, people doing very similar business models to what I have built. And initially that was a little bit hard to navigate, um, but now I've realized there's a place for all of us in the industry and it's okay. Uh, I personally see myself moving more towards creating a more sustainable wholesale system for flowers, a more boutique wholesale system. So my business will evolve over the next few years to meet that need, which is the next way to create more sustainability in the floral industry. But in general, I think the trends, if you'd asked me that question, Tammy, a few months ago, <laughs> a very different answer. <laughs> so now pandemic or in the midst of a pandemic, I think the floral industry is going to be very different in that it used to be very focused on high-end complex weddings and events and grand scale and a lot of showiness in a lot of ways. And I just don't see that happening for several years now. So I think now instead it'll be a focus on what you might call lifestyle flowers, flowers that are just for everyday life and create a sense of hope and connection. So I think that's really where the industry is going is a return to that sort of mom and pop retail operation where you send flowers to your friends for their birthday, you send flowers to somebody who's sick, you know, that kind of fell away in the past 20 years or something. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens, but I think we'll go back to gifting flowers a lot more than we used mm. to. Yeah. Mm. It makes me want to get myself some flowers, actually. You now. should. It's powerful <laughs> medicine. There's, a, oh, there's I know. A, a study by Rutgers University that um, people should look up about how flowers uh, create happiness and reduce stress and therefore improve your immune system. It's really, it's wow. incredible what flowers can do. It doesn't seem like they should, but they really do. <laughs> well, when I was sending flowers to the various mothers in my life for Mother's Day, I was thinking I should get some for myself. Yeah, and I just, exactly. but I should, I should get some. You should. You uh, should. I should. Okay. So last question for people, whether they're current Muhlenberg students or alumni or anyone else who's listening, who wants to eventually do the work that you do, what words of wisdom would you give them? What, what, you know, little pieces of guidance would you want mm. them to know? If you're a current Muhlenberg student or a Muhlenberg graduate, somebody who's gone to an amazing school and gotten a liberal arts education, you're, you're already beautifully educated for life. <laughs> but in terms of becoming a flower farmer or a small business owner, unless you happen to take business courses at Muhlenberg, I don't know, I didn't, but <laughs> um, you will need additional education. So I would highly recommend getting some sort of education in horticulture or small business management or both. Uh, I did go back to school and get an associate's degree uh, in business management after um, Muhlenberg so I could it could help me run this business. Mm. And just simply, um, Go slow and don't expect to be 
perfect right from the start. I think there's a lot of people that hold themselves up to this high standard that they witness through social media and other places. I didn't get where I am suddenly overnight. That that took a long time and a lot of hard work. So don't compare yourself to other others too quickly in the industry. And then, yeah, just have heart and soul and passion for what you do. Uh, this is incredibly hard work that I do. So you have to find um, your big picture why, ultimately. So it took me a while to find my why, and I honestly burnt out pretty hard on my business around year eight. Uh, but then I had to really drill down and figure out what my why was. Why was I really, really doing this? Because uh, mm. a small business can eat you alive. <laughs> <laughs> So um, once I found my why, which is strongly based around what I already said about watching nature and being part of nature, I was able to do the work that I needed to do. So it's, it's far, far more than just flowers for me. And I think it should be for any small business owner. It needs to be more than the product you're selling or creating or whatever it is. You need to find your heart and soul in it. And then if anybody's curious to to read what my heart and soul is, it's actually on the website under my guiding beliefs for the business. And so I made sure to articulate it there. And I frankly go read it <laughs> probably once a month just to remind myself, why the heck am I doing this? <laughs> wow. That's that's a good way. So for anybody who's starting out, that's a good first step. <laughs> This episode of 2400 Chew was produced by me, Tammy Katzoff, Associate Director of the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded remotely and engineered by Paul Kremposky at the studios of WMUH, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band.